Hello, I'm Chris Grant, the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of the Permanente Federation at Kaiser Permanente, representing eight Permanente medical groups, nearly 23,000 doctors and 80,000 employees caring for 12.2 million Kaiser Permanente members. The Permanente Medicine Podcast is a continuation in a series of intimate discussions with individuals that I believe are the most innovative leaders addressing the future of healthcare in America. Today, I am talking with a longtime dear friend and one of the most substantive leaders in American healthcare, Dr. Ed Ellison. Dr. Ellison trained as a family medicine physician. He currently serves as the Executive Medical Director and Chairman of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group, one of the largest medical groups in the nation. Additionally, he is Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of the Southeast Permanente Medical Group and serves as the Co-Chief Executive Officer of the Permanente Federation. Additionally, Dr. Ellison is a founding leader, executive sponsor, and board member of the soon-to-be-opened Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine. That's quite a long list of titles. Good afternoon, Ed, and thank you for joining me. Hey, Chris. It's my pleasure. Well, this is a chance for our listeners to get to know you as a leader, but also you as an individual. And I'd like to take us back a bit in time and understand the environment that shaped you. Could you tell me a bit about where you grew up and your family? Yeah, you bet. You know, I was born in a small town in Virginia. But when I was a year old, my dad went to work for a large company. And in the next 15 years of my life, we moved about every 13 months, north, south, east, and west. I was always the new kid in school, so I had to be very adaptable. I was always also the kid with the strange accent because we moved from the south to the north and the north to the Midwest, and the Midwest to California, and California back to Georgia again. So I learned a lot about being the new kid, being adaptable, getting to know people. That's terrific. Um, how do you think those surroundings, moving with your, with your family and with your father's career, how did that shape you as a leader today? The constant moving and the constantly being the new kid or someone who had not been part of the group gave me a certain amount of empathy for others and for those who may be a little different. Um, again, my always having a different accent, having to be adaptable, having to understand the environment that I was moving into, figuring out how to be effective in that environment, and then figuring out how I could bring what I believe to be my best self forward as a leader. And it, it made me a good listener, I think, because I had to get to know what was going on around me and understand because cultures are different. I think it instilled in me a little bit of understanding about the culture is everything and just what what was made things work in one school didn't necessarily work in another. I can uh, I can see very very clearly how those characteristics can make you an outstanding doctor, right? There's aside from the scientific rigor and the intelligence you want a physician that listens closely. So you and I have a number of, of personal connections. When my son Christopher was exploring medical school, you graciously invited him to dinner so that he could talk to you about your personal experience. And I recall as he uh, called me an hour before he was leaving, I said, listen closely because Dr. Ellison is the model of the type of physician that you should strive to be. What traits do you think are necessary for emerging physicians? 
Well, first of all, congratulations, Chris, on raising a wonderful son. Christopher's a great young man. And his passion for medicine and making lives better just was so clear. And so it really starts with that, right? It's, it's having a passion for what you do and staying in touch with that passion. I think that's the, the main piece of advice is, is why are you in this? Stay in touch with the joy of what you do. But what I've come to understand is, especially in this day and age, you know, being a physician is tough and absolutely staying in touch with why you do what you do. But there's so much more now that we know. And with the epidemic of uh, burnout among physicians and physician suicide, we're learning that we've got to have our physicians take care of themselves. And so my other bit of advice for Christopher was make sure that you right now, early on, are figuring out how to take care of yourself. That not only is it you know, permitted, but it's essential. You've got to find those, those ways to set the right kind of healthy boundaries in your life um, to take care of yourself and, and start that now because we know that entering medical students have a higher sense of resilience and optimism than those entering any graduate field of study. And yet by the time they graduate from medical school, medical students have worse sense of resilience and optimism than those graduating from other fields of study. So what are we doing to medical students? Not good, right? Now, I know wellness is, is deeply important to you, and you've been on your own health and wellness journey. Tell me a little bit about that. What motivated you, and what, what did you learn along the way? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. Um, definitely falls in the category of don't do as I did, but do as I say. I'm, I'm, I'm a workaholic. I um, never did a good job taking care of myself. And when you're younger, you can get away with that. Your body's pretty resilient. But I did hit a wall about four or five years ago when I took on this new job that I have. And like most people, I threw myself into it with everything I had. But I was getting by on three or four hours of sleep. I was had a lot of stress. I wasn't being very healthy in my eating. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't paying attention to my relationships, my family. And I, re- I realized if I didn't make some changes, I was not going to make it. I, I really knew that I was <laughs> putting my health at significant risk. So I started with the small stuff. I thought, okay, the, what's the most important thing I can do right now? I realized get more sleep. And so I made it at one more hour, just add it 30 minutes, add an hour. Over time, I, as I got a little more sleep, I had a little more energy. So I started saying, what else can I do in my day? Get more steps in. Uh, so I started wherever I could, even on a conference call in my office. I walk around the office, right? Um, park further away. Take the stairs. I mean, you know this. I just made you walk up the stairs, right? We, we've walked up. We've walked up twenty-seven <laughs> stories together. That's right. So, I, I, if nothing else, if I can get the stairs in, so people avoid me in the lobbies of the buildings because they're afraid I'll drag them up the steps. But yeah, take the stairs wherever I can. So I started getting more exercise. I got a tracker. Get my ten thousand steps in. I'd come home at ten at night and go walk for an hour. Just get those ten thousand steps. Then I started being turned on to healthier eating. Someone gave me the book Eat to Live, and I became much more plant-based. And I found as I did that, I started feeling better. Um, I sat down and had a heart-to-heart talk with my family. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I haven't been present. I know I haven't been here for you and with you the way that I want to and that you deserve to have me there. And they were terrific, and they were very supportive, but um, I made – 
conscious effort. I get home. I turn all the devices off for at least you know two hours while I'm home. Uh, make it a, a mindful decision to be present uh, and to to be with them in the important you know parts of life, but also just the day to day. So slowly but surely over time, I started making the changes that have led me to be in a much better place. Well, good for you for that really transformation in your own personal life, but also for being so comfortable to share that story because I think that there's many of our listeners that also have a lot of stresses and strains that have a, you know enormous accountabilities and responsibilities on them and to understand that you're so transparent with, with the path that you've been on and the need to kind of look in the mirror and say, I need to make a change. And you've made it so incredibly, but um, you've also motivated, you know, literally thousands of individuals to, but, to follow your path. And what has been meaningful to me, Chris, is that as I've talked about this, as I meet with my physicians, I've had so many come up to me and say, hey, you know, since you said that, I've become more plant-based and I've lost weight and I'm off of my blood pressure medicine or my diabetes medicine or, hey, I'm taking the stairs or I'm getting more sleep. Some even said I was in a really bad place and I've reached out to get help. And it, it really does make a difference to know that you know, you're not alone. Everybody has a struggle of one kind or another. And when we open up and share it, it only helps. And so we, we want to be a community that, that supports each other. Well, that's wonderful. And you certainly live by your words. You know, in, in so many ways, as I've watched and been engaged in Kaiser Permanente over the last 25 years, I've seen in Southern California breakthrough work in clinical quality, um, not only Kaiser Permanente leading, but nationwide leading preventative care, um, high quality outcomes, disease management that is second to none. Can you tell me a little bit about, as we continue on this discussion on culture, how do you cultivate a culture of innovation? Well, again, you know, leaders set the tone at the top, as they say, and you have to be very intentional. You have to declare your intent. Then you have to find good people and get out of their way. So I looked around and, and said, who are some of the most innovative thinkers I know of? And put them in a position, declare the intent, rally others around them who think of like mind, um, remove barriers for them. In many ways, as leaders, our job is to be chief barrier removal officers, right? To let the good people do the good work and get out of their way and make it happen. Um, reward and celebrate successes. And that also means reward and celebrate those things that didn't work. Now, we would never do anything that would put a patient at risk, but there's many things that you can try or test that you learn from. And when they don't work, good. Let's celebrate that, learn from it, figure out how to do it better the next time. That's wonderful. And I'm going to kind of turn the clock into the future here. So the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine has been contemplated for over a decade. And it was really, Ed, under your leadership that it came to a, a positive decision that we're going to make it a reality. Why is the School of Medicine so important to you? And how do you see it being differentiated relative to all of medical education? The Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine is an opportunity for us to start from the ground up, to design a school based on what we believe to be the needs of the future of healthcare. It allows us to learn from how healthcare has been delivered and how physicians have been educated, but update it to the current challenges we face. Our School of Medicine will allow us to leverage all the best of what Kaiser Permanente is embedded 
in this coordinated, integrated care delivery model that you and I both devoted our lives to. It allows us to instill in our physicians from the very beginning an understanding of systems and how systemness works across the continuum, a celebration of teamwork and being part of a team and how to be part of a team at the same time that you're a leader, how to understand social determinants of care and how to embed equity, inclusion, and diversity in what we do, not only to build stronger, more inclusive, more respectful teams, but to better understand how to serve diverse populations, how to build a very diverse physician population and workforce, how to instill from the very beginning the what we were talking about a few minutes ago, the advice I gave your own son about the essentialness of physicians learning how to care for themselves. We've got to help our physicians care for themselves if they're to care for others. You bring all that together, you begin to think about we're creating the physician of the future, of how healthcare can be led by and driven by physicians who understand healthcare delivery in a, in a different way. And the idea is if we can really um, build a different school that prepares doctors from day one for the environment that they're going to face, that this will be shared and emulated across medical schools? Absolutely. You know, all boats rise. We want to learn from others. We want to teach others. It's really a virtuous cycle. One of the other things that's exciting to me about the school is that we're going to embed the clinical practice from the very beginning. You know, for most of us, when I trained, two years of basic sciences, sitting in classrooms, and then you get to, to interact with a patient for the first time. Well, most of us went into medicine because we want to make lives better. We want to interact with our patients. In the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine, there will be a longitudinal part of the program for the very first year that our students will be interacting with patients in a much more robust way from day one than we ever did in my day. They will be interacting with the communities. They'll be visiting patients in their communities. They'll be understanding social determinants of care in a very different way. It's so exciting. I, I always tell my doctors, it almost makes me want to go back to medical school. Um, Almost. It's going to be a, a wonderful experience. That's it's great. Very exciting. Well, that kind of takes me to, to um, a follow-on question. As you look back on your medical education at the University of Virginia, what's the one thing that you wish was embedded in there that you're going to doggone it, make sure is in the Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine? Yeah, it's so hard to pick just one. I was fortunate, uh, went to a great school, had a wonderful education, but embedding the clinical experience from day one, I would say it's one of the most important things that we can do so that you're connected to the patient, that all of the things that you're learning have an impact on someone's life and how everything fits together. And I have no doubt that this new medical school is going to have uh, a wonderful curriculum and support network that nurtures wellness and prevents physician burnout from the very beginning. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Ellison. It's been such a privilege to spend this afternoon with you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to part one of the Permanente Medicine Podcast with Dr. Ed Ellison. Next week, we will release the second part of our conversation where we will discuss what Dr. Ellison sees as the future of healthcare and learn from him about a patient that permanently changed his perspective on medicine, showing him what it really means to be a healer.